Okay, we've been. This is this is this is week seven of talking about Jesus and talking about the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. That when we commit to following Him, it's a life of transformation. It is dramatically different. It is something that we just t- don't turn back from anymore. Because because to have a life and a fellowship and a faith in Christ is remarkable. I just. Unbelievably remarkable. You know, and, 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 and I, I think in many ways it would have been really easy to understand the life of Jesus and if he had come into a culture, if he had come into a society that really didn't know much about God. Like, I think, I think that would have been really striking to me and it would have just contrasted his life in a totally different way. But to think that Jesus walked into a very religious society, a very religious culture, a culture that said, we want to know God. We live our lives day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, thinking about God. Our whole culture is shaped as people who believe in God. And yet Jesus walks onto the scene, calls 12 individuals, and literally just changes everything about their understanding of God, the the type of God, the character of God, the nature of God, while at the same time, and this is really important, while at the same time affirming things like the law, things like religion, things like faith, things like the temple and the synagogue and all of that stuff. And what Jesus centered in on was the character of God, the nature of God, the nature of our relationship with God. Despite all those forms and what it meant to have a real deep relationship with God. Which I think is a really important distinction to make today because none of that's changed. Whatever Jesus poured into the life of the disciples is the same process, is the same message, it's the same life that, 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 that God asks of us for those of us that say we want to follow Jesus. So it's really important. So as, as, we, as we close out this series, the seven weeks, um, I'm, I'm going to a story that is after kind of the fact. Um, when Jesus, after the resurrection... And he's walking around and talking to the disciples and revealing himself as, as the glorified one, as the risen Savior, uh, with all power and majesty. That, that wonderful moment that, that we would have loved to have been there and had seen him and recognized that everything he taught was true. Everything that he said about himself is real. Everything that he, he proclaimed to teach became authentic and true. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful story because it's after the fact that um, I love this story so much because we, we've said a number of things. We've said this. It is not worth following someone who is not worth following. If you're going to commit your life to something, if you're going uh, you know, to adopt a faith, if you want to talk in those terms, there is no one worthy of following other than Jesus Christ. And I don't care. I can stand here today and say that. You can follow anything else you want. It will lead you to a dead end. Period. Period. You can email me, whatever you want to do. Twitter me, whatever you want to do. That's the fact. That's the reality of the scriptures. That's what Jesus claimed about himself. 
And, and unless Jesus is real in your life, you will hit a dead end. You will hit a very bad place at some point, period. Okay? So I got that biggie off my chest. Here we go. All right? But, but here's, here, you know, and, we, and, we, and again, I'm going to say it again. It's not worth following someone who's not worth following. So if you're going to commit your life to something, it better get you where you expect it to take you. Because if you follow anything else, it's a detour, a dead end, a, a roadblock, whatever. That's what's going to happen. Okay? So, um, we're looking at the story of uh, Jesus and Peter at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 21. And it's a great story. Uh, it's the concluding chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, uh, the disciples are, are out there doing fishing. There's this miraculous catch of fish. Jesus calls Peter and says, hey, we're going to have breakfast together. We're going to sit down and have breakfast together. And the conversation between Jesus and Peter is mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing because it's a very insightful passage for us to take to heart today. Okay, um, in, in terms of following. So let me just read the passage for you. I think it should be up on the board here. And it's this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. You know, as we, uh, as we close this out, I'm really, I'm really... Uh, intrigued by the posture that Jesus takes in this passage. If you, if you know the story, if you know the Gospels really well, Peter has failed Jesus tremendously. Peter is the one that denied Jesus before the cross. Peter was the one that claimed all this allegiance and said, I'll do anything for you, Lord. You know, stepped up to the plate, made some great proclamations about God. But when push came to shove, when the, Jesus needed him, when the reality of the situation came, Peter denied him. In, in the Gospel of John, if you go a few chapters earlier, there's this amazing scene in, 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 in a couple of chapters where Jesus is before the, 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 you know, the, the, rule, the rulers, the religious people, and he's being questioned and he's being beaten and he's being you know, uh, interrogated and Jesus isn't denying anything and Jesus is standing up to them. Well, at the same time, there's the scene that shows Peter you know, simultaneously and, and Peter at the same time is denying Jesus three times, even to a little girl. I never knew the person. I never knew the man. And she's saying, you had to be one of his disciples. And he goes, no. I don't even know who that person is. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I love the fact that Jesus, at this point of their conversation, doesn't berate Peter at all. Isn't it fascinating to you that that at a time where Jesus could have very easily said, why did you desert me? Why did you deny me? Why is it that at the very time that I needed you, you checked out? Do you know what it cost me? Do you know what it made me look like? Even after everything I did for you, all the time I poured into you, all the things I taught you, and here you are all of a sudden, and you deny me? Jesus doesn't do any of that. Any. Any of that. And it's interesting to me that instead, Jesus asks him a question three times. Do you love me? And it's interesting that Peter has denied Jesus three times. And Jesus intentionally asks that same question three times. In order to say, Peter, however many times you failed me, I need to know if you love me. Because that makes all the difference in the world. We can all stand here today and talk about the ways that we have failed God. Isn't it amazing that God is a God who will repeatedly, repeatedly forgive us when we fail him and yet acknowledge that we still love him? Isn't that the amazing picture of grace that we get in this? You know? Now, I came across this recently and I don't know where it originated. I know there's a number of bloggers. I know a number of people have, have put it on websites and stuff like that. I'm going to use it, and I don't know who, who particularly started it, but, but I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and I'm really fascinated because, because here's, here's the contrast that happens in this passage. You see, Jesus could have easily made a point to Peter. Instead, he decides to make a difference. You see, we, can, we love to make a point, don't we? And you've got to ask yourself, what is more important? Do I want to make a point or do I want to make a difference? You see, to make a point means you could stand back. You don't have to be involved. You can lob the bomb kind of over the fence at them. Um, you know, to, to make a point is that you can do it, you know, anonymously, that you can be critical, that you can, you, you can, you know, use all the justification that you want and just say, wasn't I right? Didn't I tell you? This is what you're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. We can easily do all of that. But to make a difference means that you've got to get involved. It means that you've got to get close. It means that you've got to serve. It means that you've got to put yourself in a place that might be uncomfortable to make a difference. And I believe that, you know, when we follow Jesus, I believe that as followers, we are called to make a difference and not a point. Because anybody can make a point. 
See, critics are a dime a dozen. Opinions are a dime a dozen. People love to love. You know, you can create a whole, a whole rabid fan base on the internet if you want to just make a point about everything and be a critic about everything and, 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 and com- communicate constantly what's wrong with everything. But does it, isn't it much harder to make a difference? And when you go to make a difference, trust me, the bombs are going to come your way. But it's amazing to me that at, a very, at the very point that many of us would have wanted to, 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 to take Peter and kind of, you know, shake him or something, yeah. Jesus does anything but. Because to Jesus, there is one question and one question alone that once it's answered and acknowledged makes all the difference to God in the world. You see, to make a lasting difference, you have to make a lasting commitment. To make a lasting difference, you have to make a lasting commitment. And the lasting commitment is this. What do you love? To make a lasting commitment that's going to make a difference, that's a question you need to ask yourself. What is it that you love? Because if you cannot acknowledge that question, if you can't answer that question, especially as it relates to God, you will not be able to make the difference that God wants to make in your life. Is it, I, you know, I, I, I love the fact that in this passage, Jesus, the very first time, says, do you love me more than these? Now, in the text, we have no idea what these are. No idea what these are. They could be, Jesus could have been pointing to the other disciples and said, you know, those guys... Uh, He could have been pointing to the disciples and saying, do you love me more than they love me collectively? Um, They were having breakfast and and Peter was a fisherman. He could have very easily been saying, do you love me more than your occupation, the things that you're doing, the thing that you love to do and you've done all your life? Do you love me more than that? I think God intentionally left that question open. Because I think it's a question everybody has to ask themselves and fill in the blank. Do you love me more than whatever it is? I think as a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form, that is the ultimate question you have to ask yourself, period. There's no other question that, that, that you have to answer that's going to have more impact and import than that very question itself. Do you love me more than blank? Tough question, right? Tough question. And yet for Jesus, it meant everything when he heard it from the mouth of Peter. And to restore him and make him the person that God intended him to be as a leader of the early church. You know? You know, do you love me more than your job? Do you love Jesus more than your family? Do you love Jesus 
more than your spouse. Do you love Jesus more than your security? Do you love Jesus more than fill in the blanks? Because there's many times in the life of Jesus that he said, unless you love me more than, and I don't know about you, there's some pretty shocking statements that Jesus makes about what contrasts real love to him. And the irony is, the very thing that you affirm as loving Jesus the most, you gain everything else under that. That's the reality. It's not that God leaves you shipwrecked with those things that you care about deeply. But when you place Christ first and foremost in your life, everything else becomes brand new as well. The appreciation for those things become brand new as well. The love for those things become... You become a better husband. You become a better father. You become a better friend. You become a better lover. You become a better everything. When you commit to that one love and that one love alone to the degree that it supersedes everything else in your life. That's what Jesus is asking of Peter here. And wants to have that really, really, really clear. And, I, and again, I'm going to say this again. This is the ultimate question that anyone that wants to gain any kind of ascent into the spiritual world and be a person of religion and faith. You know, there's a lot of smorgasbord religion out there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of faith and religion out there that I call spiritual cannibalism. That's all it is, a spiritual cannibalism, because it's all me. I feed on myself. And God is just the, 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 the lucky rabbit's foot that I get to rub every so often and acknowledge. Right? God, give me this. God, do this for me. God, okay? A lot of spiritual cannibalism. Okay? I love what Francis Chan says. Live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation. <laughs> Live your life in such a way that it demands an explanation. Because God is full of grace and he works with a broken with broken and wounded people. Failure, failure is a powerful word in our lives. We don't like failure. But you know what word is more powerful? Forgiveness. Especially in the hands of God. Especially in the hands of God. It's amazing the love that God has. You know... um, I was waiting for a student this week, and uh, there was a Metro paper uh, just on the desk, and I pulled this Metro paper, and I just thought I, while I was biding my time waiting for the student, I was, I was flipping through this paper, and in the Metro section, it has a little corner um, of all tweets from, like, Hollywood people and business people, favorite tweets of the week. So, one, I don't... I know the name of the Hollywood person. I just don't know who they are. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know, so I just, okay, I don't know who she is. But she tweeted this. I, I was just blown away by it. She tweeted, I just read John 3.16. Okay, that's what she tweeted. And then she said, it is dumb. Wow. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say that up here. <laughs> I'm, being, 
I'm being taped. But you ever... And, you know, like it, was a very, it was very busy at the time, right, when, when I read this. And there's all people... Are, you ever get that moment when you want to just stand up and say, Hey, everybody, you know, I'm like, I, was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. Really? And you tweeted that? You have no idea the kind of love that God extends to everyone. And you would say that? Wow. It just... You know, Paul Tripp, as a counter to that, which I, which I, I just love, he said, there is never a moment, there is a never a moment in your relationship with God that the love that you are getting is the love you deserve. You guys got that? There is never a moment in your relationship with God that the love that you are getting is the love you deserve. That's absolutely beautiful when you put it in the context of what we deserve before a holy God and to think of what we receive from him graciously every day. Graciously every day. Following Christ is the greatest way to live and the only way to die. And the only way to die. You know what, you know what I really love about this passage, too? I got, I got to tell you, Jesus has just challenged Peter. And then Jesus does something really odd. I'm going to tell you, Peter, after you affirm that you love me, after you've told me everything, uh, that, I, that you've been forgiven, and now I want you to go out and be a leader for the church and, and feed my sheep and feed my people and be significant in the role that I intend for you to have, Jesus does something that I don't think many of us would do. He says, oh, by the way, this is how you're going to die. <laughs> this is how you're going to die. Lays it all out. And do you know that Peter lived for almost three decades with that thing hanging over his head? That essentially he was telling Peter that he was going to probably die by crucifixion. And, And tradition holds that Peter did die by crucifixion, but refused to die standing up. He wanted he ended up being crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, to have that put over you, and then at the very end of it all, Jesus says, follow me. Here's the whole picture. Here's the whole life. Here's the whole deal. That if you're going to follow me, it's going to take you places you don't necessarily want to go. You're going to have difficulties. Jesus doesn't guarantee that we're not going to suffer, that we're not going to get hurt, that we're not going to make mistakes, that we're not going to find ourselves in in circumstances that are really painful. But in the midst of it all, as a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus promises to carry you through each and every moment of your life if you love him. If you love him. That's, that's just amazing to me that 
Jesus can, can pack all that in in one conversation and then say, follow me. You know, one of the passages I've, I've absolutely avoided for these last seven weeks that, that many of you have probably thought should have been the very first passage I dealt with is this one. Jesus said, count the cost. No man follows me unless he takes up his cross, denies himself, and follows me. Right? Now, I don't know about you again, but here we have the imagery of the cross before Jesus even goes there. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross when he gives that picture. And for everybody in that culture, everybody in that society, they would have known it meant death. Death to yourself. Death to the very things that you probably enjoy about this life and transform it to carrying a cross for Jesus. Wow, that's pretty heavy stuff, eh? That's pretty heavy stuff. But that's what discipleship's all about. That's what following is all about. And I'll tell you something. Anybody, 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 anybody that we've ever walked through the journey with, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thankfully old enough that I've walked through the journey with many, many people. That I've watched people start out very timid in their faith. Jesus got a hold of their heart. Jesus did something in their lives. And then five years, ten years later, whatever, it was an amazing turnaround when they wholly committed and said, Jesus, we love you more than... Rick Warren said about this passage, he said, I think this is what it means. It means don't be wishy-washy or wimpy. Make a total commitment of your life Once and for all, make the commitment to what really matters and be willing to pay the price to make that commitment. That's what he said. Wimpy and (laughs) wishy-washy. Wow. I've got a couple of um, PowerPoints I want to put up here. I love this one from Billy Graham. When we preach atonement, it is atonement planned by love, provided by love, given by love, finished by love, necessitated because of love. When we preach the resurrection of Christ, we are preaching the miracle of love. When we preach the return of Christ, we are preaching the fulfillment of love. I think that's, I think that's a great quote, by the way. I think it just puts it all into perspective. And it's something that, should, that, that when we understand and get, a, get our heads around that, just how much it motivates us to what faith and walking with Jesus and being a follower of Jesus is really all about. Okay? Um, I'm going to leave that up for a second because I think you're filling in blanks. I did, we did it really fast last week, and, and all these people uh, emailing me saying, where are the blanks, you know? And, you know, and I said, I'm, you know, I couldn't even remember my, you know, because it's like your own phone number, eh? I don't see what's up there, right? It's like I don't call myself. Anyway. Everybody got that? Okay, no? All right. I think most of, most of the blanks are just love. Right, right? Love, 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 love. You think I'm trying to make a point, right? <laughs> love, love, love. Okay? Um, and, and I want to I conclude, too, with this, with this last slide and just reiterate this because we, we showed it to you last week. A disciple is someone 
who is in the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. That is, in my estimation, that is one of the best definitions of a follower. So I want to put that one up here again. Okay? Now, here's, here's, here's the deal today. Um, we, we, you probably remember we had a banner up in the front foyer, of, and it's a banner of this. Remember we had this, and we have this whole dark section down here. We got some white pens up here. Um, at the end of the service, we're going to ask the worship leader, to, the, the worship team to come up right now, if they don't mind, and get ready for, the, for closing out the service. But we have the banner up here. And what we're asking is that if you're committing to following Jesus wholeheartedly today, if you would just come up and sign your name on this banner. Um, if you have not ever walked with Jesus before, and, and today you're making a decision to do so and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we're asking you to come up and sign this as well. Um, we're, we're asking all of you, if you want to affirm your faith in Christ and commit yourself again and saying, I'm going to be the best follower I possibly can to come up and sign this banner. We're hoping that, that, that we're going to get a picture of this, put it up on the Facebook page, you know, hang it up in the church some, somewhere. Just a reminder for all of us that we are followers of Jesus Christ, that as a church we hold him and esteem him highest of all, and that to follow him is a life of incredible, incredible joy and hope, not just for ourselves, but for every person around us. All right? So thank you very much. Thank you for the next seven, for these last seven weeks. It's been a real blessing to teach this series. And we pray that you would come and sign this as an as a, as a acknowledgement of your faith or your newfound faith in Christ. Okay? Thank you very much.